0: Welcome to the most bananas episode of Turntables and Tea yet. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing Gwen Stefani's debut solo album from 2004, Love Angel Music Baby, one of the biggest pop albums of the 2000s, certainly. And this is part of our doll muff because I recently found out there was a whole line of Love Angel Music Baby dolls. I didn't know that was a thing, but it is. So here we are
1: yeah man she had a look for a bunch of costumes on the tour and then her different personalities right it was it was all types of dolls for this one
0: yeah yes there were from looks from the videos and for each of the backup dancers and all that stuff but before all of that we are going to just take it back to 2003 2004 20 years ago now almost which is crazy crazy Cause this is a this is a bit of a nostalgia bomb, but anyway, for those who don't know, before she went solo, when Stefani was the lead singer of this band called No Doubt, they were pretty darn popular in 2003. Pretty darn popular, I would say. Had been for close to a decade.
1: They had one of those sounds that couldn't be denied back then. You know, they they were that ska that really broke through the mainstream wall. And oh, yeah. uh, and of course, how could you not with a with a front lady like Gwen Stefani, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, she's a pretty undeniable front woman who just got a lot of attention The tunics and It kind of obscured a lot of the rest of the band, unfortunately. But then again, it's kind of hard to ignore her because <laughs> yeah. it's Gwen Stefani. But she had. Dabbled out of the band before with some collaborations, most notably "Let Me Blow Your Mind," which was a big hit in the early 2000s. And uh, no doubt was kind of going away from that ska sound on the Rock Steady album by recording in Jamaica and uh, working with folks like Prince on the album. It was a bit more of a pop album, and as a result, was quite successful in pop radio. I mean, around here, those songs were on the radio. All the time. Those rock steady tunes. They were. All the time. Like that was childhood. You always heard Hello Good, Underneath It All, and Hey Baby. Those were inescapable. And so the band was on tour to promote the album. But Gwen was starting to get ideas as like kind of a side project. Listening to music from the 80s. She thought, I really want to do modernized 80s dance music. And uh, she wasn't even thinking of doing a whole album at first, but Jimmy Iovine, who we talked about a while ago, back when he was just a producer, but by this point was the chairman and co-founder of Interscope Records. uh, He said, no, you should do an album. And uh, it was a high proposition. There were some big names who really wanted to work with her and did. And uh, she also wrote with one of her bandmates as well. And uh, it was not an easy road she was pretty nervous to be doing something outside of the band and there was a lot of writer's block she suffered but she did get through it and uh, the album was released in November of 2004 and uh, I mean the rest is history
1: (laughs) she broke down on the way to this album though yeah mental breakdown um thinking about it and reading about all these big names coming straight out and we're going to talk about it throughout because it's, it's at the core of this album, but thinking about who no doubt was just for me at this point in time or leading up to their break where she went solo, they were always one of the bands and their sound was one of the sounds that always, no matter how big it got for me, always kept a, garage band mystique to it you know they they always seemed like a people's band no matter what no doubt to me so imagine coming off of that and just being swamped by people you do want to work with people you don't want to work with people you're intimidated by it had to be a crazy time for her and I never realized that or recognized that back then you know, it just seemed like her meteoric rise from No Doubt On was exactly what she wanted. And I won't say that it's not what she wanted, but it didn't seem to me as someone watching it that it happened so much like this. You know, it seemed like she was just on the fast track in Love and loving life. And it seems like it wasn't the case going into this album.
0: Yeah, it's kind of surprising to think about. And really sonically, it just seems like she was kind of moving toward this with just the Rocksteady album because there's, qu- there's some real 80s stuff on that. I mean, there's a couple songs produced by Rick Ocasek, of all people. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just That's- so. I mean, there was one um, video I watched. It was about another singer who went pop kind of jewel. And this reviewer, Todd in the Shadows, he was talking about, um, you know. This didn't work for Jewel. It could work for other people. And one example he mentioned was for Gwen Stefani, her solo, it worked because she eased into it. And she did, but it's weird to think that it was such a hard thing for her, actually.
1: For real, for real.
0: And a lot of that sound was coming from
1: Tony Canal as well. Uh, he was a huge Prince lover and 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 that that era of sound lover, uh, probably more so as a bassist. But regardless, you know that was one of the major... That was one of the major people in her ear throughout her life, uh, throughout their romance and and being in in No Doubt together. So there was a lot of that sound coming to her. But you're totally right, man. Ease into it is the words they use. But it does not seem like she did.
0: You know, they made it look
1: like she did. They made it look like she did.
0: But it did look like she did. But she wasn't completely lying about it there are hints of that anxiety in the album as well but there are and admittedly also i will say this this was a different sound for pop radio in 2004 this was not the sound of that era as we've discussed on here before it was very r&b hip hop and there were definitely elements of that on this album But not all of it was. Some of it was very new wave, very dance, pop. And it was kind of like, well, how will this do on American radio? Like, I can see kind of that anxiety because it's like, well, I want to do this, but will people actually really respond to it in the best way? But it turns out they, for the most part, responded pretty favorably, at least in terms of commercial success. Of course, there were certain people saying, oh, she sold out by going solo. There's always going to be those people, especially when you started off as like an underground alternative band, which no doubt did. Yeah. Well, before this, they did, but...
1: You talk about the climate of radio at this point, and you're right. This These sounds weren't there. They weren't anywhere near there in a lot of these cases. And for me, that, looking back, not then I didn't put two and two together, but it really speaks to Harajuku-style Back then, like Harajuku backstreets, that whole thing coming through just in the fashion sense or really the Americans or most of the Americans fascination with the Japanese culture, period. But the Harajuku was like it would seep in here and there. And that's why it always made sense to me uh, why this album was so eclectic, because it led to that Harajuku style. But it, I, it definitely uh, definitely wasn't the style of what we were jamming to back then.
0: No, but turns out she kind of changed the playbook in a way. But first off, she had a lot of success along the way. The album, weird to think, it debuted at number seven with like quite a bit over 300,000 copies. So, which is crazy to think that that wouldn't have been automatic number one. It certainly would be now, but... It was not at this point in time. And it ended up peaking at number five, but it continued to sell. It's now sold over 8 million copies worldwide. I but- don't
1: remember it being that big of a success back then. I remember, of course, I remember the tracks, the ones that are iconic that we'll go through, but I don't remember people jumping out windows for it. You know what I'm saying? Like people were doing backflips for it from what I remember.
0: I mean, I guess being a kid, it seemed like she was really one of the biggest ones because she actually did cross over to the kids market. A couple of these songs I used to hear on Radio Disney, actually. Heard that. And that was kind of a skewed thing, though, at the same time, because like a lot of those artists didn't really cross over the pop radio. This was one of the ones that actually did for adults, too, so... But was that marketed?
1: And this is a topic that we'll go through throughout this whole thing. Was that made? Do you think the machine, as I always like to call it, had a big hand in pushing her to do this? I mean, I think that the Harajuku sense was natural to her because she always had her own look and that was the thing. But I mean, dolls and clothing, the LAMB clothing line, Um, and Disney Radio. Do you think that was part of the big machine on this?
0: I mean, I definitely, I have no doubt in my mind that the label put a lot behind this album. In this case, the label being Interscope. I don't doubt that. They put a lot of their budget into promoting this. I definitely think there was a conscious push, but I also think that a lot of it just happened to be There were enough songs here that were able to ride the zeitgeist enough that she could manage to make big pop hits. And the funny thing is, what I find most interesting about this is this really kind of changed the course of pop music for the rest of the decade. Heard because not long after this, it's often noted, in 2006, year after this album's major success, there were two artists who put out albums that were very often compared to this one, those being Nelly Furtado's "Loose" and Fergie's The Duchess, and they both got many comparisons because they had this kind of urban pop sound to them, and I wouldn't say anybody ripped anybody off everybody does their own thing I don't think that's fair to say but I know Fergie especially was accused of ripping Gwen Stefani off this
1: is another you segue perfectly into it but this is another example for me of yeah it definitely changed a lot of the sound but it worked and like you said it worked well enough for her to go on and make music afterwards but it worked enough that Eavine and these labels were like, we can do this on a cookie cutter shit. Hot tea take. I'm going to take shit on this one. I don't care. You can't tell me that that Fergie album wasn't cookie cutter. We're going to pump another Gwen Stefani out. I respect Black Eyed Peas, and I respect what Fergie did with Black Eyed Peas, but You can't tell me that wasn't done by the machine. I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt on that one. If she, as an artist, made a conscious decision to to just straight cookie cutter it, sorry, Ferg, I got to say shame on you there. Oh, no, I think
0: there was a definite inspiration as to what they were doing. It's like, oh, she went solo and had huge success. Let's Black Eyed Peas, let's expand our brand and have Fergie go solo in the same vein. It'll work. And it worked very, very well to their credit.
1: Yeah, The Furtado thing, I don't know. I give her her own right. You know, Timbaland was all over that. That was his baby. That that hit was what he was doing. I don't think that was as cookie cutter, but it definitely was inspired sonically, I think. That whole, that whole little era right there, you know?
0: Yeah, and she was another one who started off... I mean, she was never even close to Gwen Spice. She was very hippy-dippy at first. Like, I'm like a bird. And then she changed to this very different sound but it worked i think that she did she had the songs that made it work that was it was that simple and yeah both of those albums were very successful arguably some could say more successful than this one possibly but they definitely outperformed the follow-up to this album the sweet escape that's for certain but maybe this who knows though and uh However, on the other end of it, in terms of that not-so-urban sound, in 2008, there was a young pop star who started off, and Jimmy Iovine was worried that this woman was too similar to Gwen Stefani. That woman was Lady Gaga, and she ended up, uh, yeah, at the end of the decade, she really definitely bought those kind of 80s-influenced sounds back into, I think, because those songs were very much everywhere and i think i mean gwen might have i think you could say gwen paved the way a bit for the emergence of gaga wow i would have never put them two in the same
1: boat but i can see where where you're coming from there
0: i mean i wouldn't have until i saw that but i thought that's interesting yeah most definitely yeah that's kind of where we are with love angel music baby and it's a album that's still really well-known. These songs are, some of them especially, still well-known to this day and probably always will be, for better or for worse, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, with that being said, I'm ready to get into this, baby. Yeah, let's get at it. All right, so this album begins with a song called What You Waiting For, and this is the prime example of a lot of the anxiety going into this album here. So This song is co-written with Linda Perry. For those who don't know, she was in a group called Four Non-Blondes. They had a big hit in the early 90s. And by the mid-2000s, she'd become a big songwriter in pop music. She wrote some songs with Pink and also Christina Aguilera. Beautiful was one of the biggest hits of 2003. And Linda Perry wanted to work with Gwen Stefani. The story goes that she put Gwen Stefani in a chokehold at the 2003 Grammys and said, we're going to write songs together. And Gwen said yes, but she was pretty much bombarded with this. like, oh, you have to go. She only has a few days to work with you. It's like, okay. And Gwen was pretty nervous to be doing it because it's like, haven't written songs without my band. Yeah. Don't really know what we're going to be doing. And they worked together, and it the first day really didn't go well. Like Gwen broke down, and I think Linda might have also gotten her to write about some stuff Gwen didn't really want to write about for this album, is kind of the impression I'm getting. But when Gwen went home, Linda kept working and came back with a new track the next day that Gwen actually liked. And Linda said to her, what are you waiting for? And Gwen said, oh, you're challenging me, right? And so they wrote a song called what you waiting for together. And it was all about the anxiety of going solo because all these people are in her ear saying, look at your watch. Now you're still a super hot female. You got to do it. But, and she's just doubting herself, but also saying, take a chance, you stupid hoe. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it's a perfect intro to this album and it's also very new wave, which sets our eighties tone. We get the, harajuku girls referenced in there and i mean it's just a really good song i don't know what else to say this is this is a banger i mean she just so sums up this anxiety and turns it into a kick-ass pop song
1: yeah i mean sums up she basically in layman's terms tells you exactly what she's feeling there's no I mean, there's some hidden things inside the narrative. Like you said, with the watch, I think that's more to at this point, she's married a thing and she wants to have kids. So she's like, you're still hot, do this, do, do that. Um, What a crazy place. I mean, this came from writer's block into just letting it all out on paper. I really dig the lyrics. I really dig where they came from. I can totally feel that in this song. It's a solid, super solid track, super solid opener love the electro feel like you said we get we get a a taste of what's to come on this so I guess they were saying that they wanted it to be like an 80s dance album so on this 80s dance album I am not I am a huge fan there let me put it like that <laughs> I am a huge fan of Gwen Stefani's voice and for me I am not in love with the register that they, they put her in at the beginning of this song, um, on a solo tip, just for me. I just don't like the notes she hits in in the start of this. I just I think they're a little tiny bit contrived, and I feel like it's a little push from Perry. But that's just me.
0: It probably that, is. Well,
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it could be me backing up my girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, it don't make her sing is. that high. But yeah, they it, it just don't seem. St- they don't seem her to me. And that's me nitpicking. It's it's a solid, super awesome track.
0: Yes, I would agree with that. And it was the first single for obvious reasons. I think it's a pretty good introduction to this whole project. And it did very well outside of the US. It was number one in Australia and reached the top 10 throughout Europe. In the US, it peaked at number 47, which is a shame. But again, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this just wasn't the sound that everybody was listening to at this point in time. This would have been just an odd fit on radio at this point in time. And so it just wasn't given the chance it should have been. But at the end of the day, this is still a beloved song. And interestingly, even the people who thought like this was a sellout move on her part still liked this song. Even Pitchfork liked this song. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they weren't too crazy about this kind of music, but they liked, they dug What You're Waiting For. So I think that's saying something. And so there we have that. I do want to mention, of course, the video was also uh, pretty interesting. It's Alice in Wonderland themed. And that's a pretty I think, a pretty on-the-nose metaphor because she's lost and doesn't know what she's going to do. So she put that in the video too, which I think is very cool.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's a wild thought. I didn't put two and two together on that. I remember that video, but she is. She's stepping through the looking glass into the world of pop, production pop, into the world of pop period you know what i'm saying that's for a garage band ska girl that's that's a huge step so yeah that's a cool thought
0: yes and uh, that life as a ska band uh, garage girl came out a bit in our next song which is track number two rich girl this is another collaboration with eve they had previously done let me blow your mind together and it They decided to collaborate again at a party while they were in Gwen's laundry room, which, okay. And Gwen had been doing a lot, but she decided that she wanted to work with Dr. Dre on the album, which makes sense. A very respected producer. And if you want to get a hit, he's a good guy to go to, circa 2004, I would say.
1: Anytime, really. Well, anytime, really, (laughs) yeah.
0: But just context at this time we're we're gonna go to him and she gave him what she wrote and he encouraged her to do something else and he suggested sampling a 1993 song called rich girl by the english reggae duo lucy lu and mitchy juan i hope i pronounced that correctly you,
1: you did lucy lu
0: okay and uh, um That, in turn, had a reworking of If I Were a Rich Man from the musical Fiddler on the Roof. And so, Gwen and Eve wrote it, but Dre said, no, start over. He advised Gwen to play a character. And so, she went a bit more Broadway and came up with the final song on the treadmill, which, what? Okay, (laughs) such a bizarre genesis for a song, not gonna lie, but... (laughs) It, it worked um this song was a bit polarizing because people were saying you are rich why are you singing if I was a rich girl an interviewer even asked her why are you singing this song and she said well I was singing it from the perspective of before I had money and before I was famous and it's like do you not get that it's tongue-in-cheek yeah like really
1: That's a crazy question <laughs>
0: And a rude question, I would say, too. It's very rude. Um, But it didn't really matter because, well, the song made a lot of money, clearly, for some people because this was the second single, and it was successful internationally once again, but it managed to give her a U.S. hit. This was number seven on the Hot 100, and this was one of the songs I remember hearing on Radio Disney back in the day. (laughs) yeah so yeah I mean I've always enjoyed it I always just thought it was a really fun pop song I mean and it's an earworm you can't get it out of your head you can't
1: no it's it's a solid composition and it has an immediate tie to the subconscious listener with the filler on the roof riff I maybe I'm an old man and maybe you know just the way I was raised but I I think you'd be hard pressed to sing that and not this, but just the fiddler riff. If I were a rich man, and people not know where it came from, Oh, maybe I'm dating myself. But anyway, <laughs> it, it it can't be denied as an earwig of a riff, uh, regardless. That reggae feel fits it the, the fits the composition perfectly, and and it's accentuated again when Eve comes in. And I will say when Eve finally comes in, because even this being a Gwen song, I feel that it took a hot minute to get Eve in there. I think we could have benefited from a little, maybe two verses from, from Eve in there. Like an
0: intro verse, maybe. Yeah,
1: you know, just to really stick him the reggae feel. Because when she comes in and starts to hit it, it that reggae dancehall feel is like I said, accentuated to the next level. Dre's production for this felt great. i don't get me wrong, I love this song, but like nitpicking and now listening to it hardcore, um, and just picking it apart for Dre, it's a little bit of an empty composition. I'm not gonna lie, there's not much to this. The girls really bring this song. I, I'm not saying it's it's his worst or anything like that, but like it's it's a it's a little bit empty and. I noticed something that I'll never be able to unhear. There's a piano slam that is just like a chord plus extra notes that aren't it's 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 a terrible sound. It's like it's like nails on a chalkboard to me now that I heard it. And and oh. it's just a stomp throughout the end of of the piece. But it, Damn you, Dre! You could have you could have done that chord straight on, and it would have been fine. But again, nitpicking. Love this song. This is an iconic one. This is yes. one that'll stick with her. This is one that speaks to the style of this album and the. I'm going to use the word persona, but just for the example of what this i'll use the word brand this was the brand this was the lm uh, l-a-m-b brand and it was a perfect song for that it met it met the whole look it met the whole look across the board and and it did its job and it always will you can't not at least bob your head to this one
0: yep that that is for sure and speaking of earworms have we got one for you with our next song track number three Hollaback Girl. This song was co written and produced with the Neptunes. We've discussed them before with Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo, amazing, iconic producers. And Gwen had done a lot of songs, but she still wanted to work with them because, well, who doesn't want to work with the Neptunes? I mean, come on. Yeah. If you can, you're going to work with the Neptunes. That's simple. And she wanted an attitude song, but was thinking, well, how am I going to do it? But she remembered a comment, um, shit starter Courtney Love made to a magazine she said quote being famous is just like being in high school but I'm not interested in being the cheerleader I'm not interested in being Gwen Stefani she's the cheerleader and I'm out in Mountain, the smoker shed okay what I,
1: I, if I start talking about it, I'm gonna start yelling <laughs> it's so uh, that's just basically Courtney Love in my opinion that's just basically Courtney Love being that cool girl bullshit that she tried to put on. She would have loved to be Gwen Stefani. I'm not taking away anything that Hole might have done with their music, but Courtney Love as a person, that's just her, that's her being insecure. That's her insecurities right there. Oh, no, no. I'm out of the smoke. Fuck you. Fuck you on that. I'm sorry. See, I told you i start yelling.
0: I mean, yeah. You were the only one who said it because when talking about this, Gwen said the NME magazine, quote, you know, some t- someone one time called me a cheerleader negatively, and I've never been a cheerleader. So I was like, okay, fuck you. You want me to be a cheerleader? Well, I will be one then. And I'll rule the world. You just watch me. And well, that was what happened. <laughs> that's the stupidity of that statement from Courtney love is like, you're
1: talking about Gwen Stefani and here's the thing. You're not even talking about Gwen Stefani into like, it's not Courtney love saying that today. Okay. Cause then maybe I'll give you some, a little bit of merit there. You can, she she's had some, some cheerleader-esque looks. You're talking about the lead singer of no doubt at this point, like one, I've already done the garage band thing, but two, in all honesty, she could probably kick your ass. Gwen was always, she's, she, she's a muscular girl. She could, she could get in there. Courtney Love's a pushover. Oh,
0: don't get me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, there actually might be a bit more to this story because a part of you might be thinking, well, I mean, is that the worst thing that could have ever been said? Is there might be a bit more to uh, Gwen not liking Courtney Love because at this point in time, Gwen Stefani was married to Bush lead singer Gavin Rossdale. And before they were married, he dated Courtney Love. And she claimed that they slept together, I think, while they were married. And um, that might be another reason as to why Gwen Stefani might not like Courtney Love a whole lot, as if there aren't enough reasons already. But
1: you're trying to get me to go crazy on this podcast, right?
0: (laughs) Oh, I am.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, that could be a reason. I, I, I mean, he cheated on her for the marriage to end so why not yeah don't get me started (laughs) ah, he was always a no good dude in my brain but i mean
0: yep yep we'll get into that again here don't you worry
1: yeah i i forgot he dated courtney
0: love back in the day
1: of course he would he was a parasite like her Ah, i'm not here to talk shit on artists we're here to rock this album out (laughs)
0: they're they're not the artists we discuss here because i mean courtney love's not very likable come on
1: yeah yeah they're both clinger ons in my and like again i'm not taking anything away from hole i fuck bush Uh, I have oh. So many feelings here, but I mean, oh it is, boy. Is it? it is what it is.
0: Oh boy, we might have to do Bush on the podcast now. I'll tear that apart.
1: Oh boy, that'll <laughs> be
0: fun. I've spent
1: my life tearing that out apart.
0: <laughs> but that also, the title came from another famous person. Pharrell got the title from a comment made by supermodel Naomi Campbell. Yep. And because of the cheerleader comment, this song has a cheerleader chant this shit is bananas b-a-n-a-n-a-s yep she she taught us all how to spell bananas so (laughs) the memes now say she should have taught us how to spell definitely or necessary instead (laughs) might have been more helpful and this is also i think i mean we're going back to fergie not the dunk on more artists here but I do not think she got the idea to spell glamorous out of nowhere. That's all I'm saying. Come on.
1: I mean, yeah, people have done it, but it was very oh, close. It was do very that, yeah. new
0: at this point in time. Exactly. It was pretty recent. It was a bit more recent than Aretha singing Respect. I think we know where you got the idea from, Fergie. <laughs> I still like that song, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We, You're not fooling us, girl. There you go. And well, it's not London Bridge also sounds quite a bit like this. Let's not kill ourselves either. But anyway, back to this song. Yeah, this is a very iconic song. This was a huge hit. It was the third single. And this one in the US, it was number one for four weeks. And it was the second most popular song of the year behind only Mariah Carey's We Belong Together. Love seeing the 90s ladies dominate a decade later. That's pretty cool, I think. But one of my childhood memories, I will never forget. I don't remember what it was for, but I was at Cosmic Bowling at AMF Lanes, and I saw the video for Hollaback Girl. And I mean, it's hard to forget. She's riding in the car with the top down. She's dressing her marching band outfit. Like, you just can't forget it. And it's like, Gwen, I thought it was Gwen Stefani at first, of course, but <laughs> it was Gwen Stefani, but it was like one of those formative pop culture moments. It's like Gwen Stefani, and that was the first time I'd heard of her, and then I heard like Rich Girl and another song on radio. Disney, and I it's like, I like Gwen Stefani, but of course I was not allowed to buy the CD once I found out that This song had a lot of bad language in its unedited version. I knew, oh, my mom's not going to let me buy that. So I'm not going to try. I didn't buy it till seventh grade. There you go. But I got to it eventually. Don't you worry, babe.
1: That video was iconic. That's one that will never leave. That's real. I mean, that is forever there. Forever there. You talk about earwigs. That's what the Neptunes do. I always like to go back to like drop it like it's hot because it yeah. was just
0: that was the recent hit at this time <laughs>
1: and they were on fire with that so yeah. they, they they're they're genius I I use that word for them they are genius they knew what they were doing here they knew that they were doing sort of a diss track uh, and they had a blast with it with the cheerleader motif I don't know if Gwen knew this who she probably did who knows anyway I guarantee you the Neptunes knew this. Her whole thing, put your hands in the air if you feel me, that came from Jay-Z back in the day, in like 97 on Face Off. I didn't know that. Oh, but his, so his was right there on the register, and I, this goes out to my Brooklyn crew. Put your guns up in the air if you feel me. Fuck them all day, fuck them all night. We don't love them hoes. <laughs> that that was where that shit came oh. from. The Neptunes knew that. They, of course they're, they did. they're genius like that. They cranked this out. That's why it's iconic. Uh, or one of the main reasons why it's so iconic. They are genius at do at producing gold. Uh, and they knew exactly they they understood the assignment on this one. They knew exactly what they were going yeah. in there to do. And they had the perfect girl to do it with. Gwen was fired up on it and she let it all go. This was a really good track for her. This is a neat track to keep the pace going on this album. I know she got a lot of shit throughout the years from critics. You know, you know, it was, who are you at this age to be doing this high school rhetoric? Yeah, you're, and you're 35 out? and
0: you're doing this song. Um... I, I,
1: you know, again... In my eyes, that's the rudeness of of them sometimes, like we said before, like what what are you singing this song about? Go to hell. It, yeah. it, you're making music. Uh I uh, mean, yeah. I'm real I'm really off off the hook tonight. I mean,
0: but anyway. This, this is a uh, polarizing song. People love or hate it. And I mean an earworm like this automatically, you're gonna love or hate it, especially a cheerleader chanting. The previous number one cheerleader hit Mickey, people love or hate it. All right. I love it, but not everyone does. Yeah, it is definitely
1: polarizing.
0: But at the end of the day, numbers speak, and this was the first song to ever sell a million paid downloads in the U.S. And some were undoubtedly shocked to find out that she said shit 38 times in the song, but
1: there you go. It's like a South Park episode right there. Yeah. (laughs) Or this podcast, so far, the way I'm going.
0: (laughs) Oh, I remember being at my aunt's house and i'm with my cousins and i was we were looking at their itunes library and i saw hollaback i was like oh that's a good song and my cousin said oh no we can't play that it has a lot of bad words i didn't know it did but it does i was like oh okay there you go i mean admittedly how would you have known they edited it well enough that you didn't know (laughs) part
1: part of that machine push on this part of that you know that's real we could put this on disney plus i mean we could put this on disney radio you could you could it's real
0: but and now you put it still has over 500 million streams on spotify so still a beloved tune for sure
1: it still hits like that it yeah. still hits music it, i'll go on all night about the neptune's genius but well and 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 gwen perfect yes. mix for me <laughs>
0: Yes, and uh, no, to nobody's surprise, they collaborated again for the next album. Yeah, man. To no one's surprise. But back to Radio Disney. The next song is one I heard a lot on there back in the day, too. Cool. This one was co-written with Dallas Austin, a pretty big R&B pop songwriter in the 90s and 2000s. Um, and before he even worked with Gwen, he wanted to write his version of the No Doubt song Simple Kind of Life. But he originally wrote this song to give it to either Christina Aguilera or TLC. But TLC didn't happen because he was dating um, Chili for a while, but they broke up. So he thought, let me not give this to them. But sure enough, he asked Gwen Stefani to help him with it, and they wrote this song in 15 minutes. Wow, okay. And uh, this one is inspired by her relationship with Tony Kanal and how it had progressed over time, because they were kind of a strange exes that were in a band together. We heard all of that on Tragic Kingdom. And now it's like, we're still friends, and. It's weird, it's crazy how that's happened. You've called me by my new last name now, but after all that we've been through, I know we're cool. And that's the whole vibe of this song and uh, a very, very 80s track, probably the most overtly 80s we have here so far. Very new wave. Um, It was the fourth single. It made it to 13 on the Hot 100. So not as big as the previous two, but that's still not bad. And uh, it's not quite as dramatic as those previous tunes, but I've still always enjoyed it. Again, it's her songwriting skills that really shine on this one, I think.
1: Yeah, the lyrics in here, the narrative in here, I understand where it's coming from because I know her. Even at this point when the album dropped, you know, I knew their romance and I could feel I pretty much was like, okay, that's about Tony. This one for me, Looking at it at a critical standpoint now, um, really going through and looking at how it was, you know, proposed to her in the whole nine. This one is the first one for me on this album that I think is all of these people wanting to work with Gwen Stefani, like we were talking about earlier, and not really working out so well. Cool has always been sort of a filler on this album for me. And I never really felt like it was a finished product. Even back then, now that I listen to it, I never even realized, or probably because I only made it about halfway through each time. And it's a short track anyway. But the, I think it's emphasized by the fade out in the end of the song. Um, I love that I hear a lot of Gwen, no doubt Gwen, I'll call it um sound as far as the way she sings and the way she presents uh this one but never my favorite this one is is just an unfinished to find out that they wrote it in 15 minutes i was like okay there you go um this one just never felt like it was it was supposed to be on here for me
0: that that's a fair point. I have some nostalgia for it, I think as part of my love for it admittedly but uh you know that it that works too. but uh the next song is definitely not no doubt when yeah. <laughs> uh, so track five is Bubble Pop Electric. this one features Johnny Vulture who is actually Andre Free thousand of outcast and it's about two teenagers having sex in the backseat of a car, the driving movie. <laughs> And, um, yeah, this is just like a comedy kind of novelty song. I feel like they're having fun with it. Um, yeah, for a long time, I really hated this song. I was like, this is so fucking obnoxious. But over time, it's grown. I mean, you have to be in the mood for it, definitely, because it's so silly. But I gotta appreciate that they're having a good time. And it's got some cool Sonic stuff going on, too, I think. And, um, This was actually a TikTok hit a couple of years ago. I don't know why this was, this isn't the song I would have chosen to have blown up on TikTok, but it did. And this (laughs) one actually has close to 100 million streams on Spotify. I'm sure some of that's helped by its placement in between hits. (laughs) But that's just, I don't know. It's definitely not top tier on the album for me, but I do enjoy it when I'm in the mood for it.
1: Yeah. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And uh, it reminds me, and I actually read this and I was sort of happy. I love when I'm actually not the crazy person, but it reminds me of like some Grease-esque type narrative. You know, she's waiting so long for him to get there and he's on the way and high bye to the parents. And the whole time, it's just the raw doggiest, terrible (laughs) lyrics about teenage sexual angst. It does have some cool sonic things that happen inside of it. The bubbliness of the way it's composed uh, and the, the bubble popping in the background, I dig it. It has Andre all over it. I don't care what you want to call him. Johnny Vulture, Andre 3000. Uh, it has his style on it. And I think his style fits the not taking itself too seriously of this of this track. Um, and I think it works well with Gwen on this. She has fun with it. It speaks to the brand it speaks. It's crazy to say this because it's such a sexual song, but it speaks to that like high school stuff that we had in Hollaback Girl. Um, as far as pushing it at, into this market, you know, this LAMB brand, um, which is a little bit scary now that you listen to it, uh, or now that I listen to it later on in life. With a daughter and the whole nine. But,
0: <laughs> but See, I have to say, so I know this got the grease comparisons. I have to say this Sandy would have never been ready to do it in the back seat of a car. Let's be real here. Because when he tried, She was not happy.
1: (laughs) Truth. This is more uh, Kawiki and uh, Rizzo. Rizzo. No,
0: Rizzo would have never talked like that. We all know that she was a tough as nails bitch.
1: This is true. This is true.
0: (laughs) But uh, as for as for Sandy, even when she changed it up still too pure the to be pink she would have made sure it was special we not in the back seat come on
1: <laughs> but that speaks to the character driven narrative here and uh it works here it's it doesn't take me all the way out of the album it, it keeps that harajuku bubbly play style that i i, I want to drive home that i yeah. think that they just crammed down our throats on this album <laughs> um It's definitely not my favorite track on (laughs) the
0: album. (laughs) Oh no, 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 not at all.
1: But that's that's everything I have nice to say about it.
0: (laughs) I mean, that that is fair. That is fair. But um, anyway, moving on to a more serious sensual song. We've got luxurious at our midway point here, track six. This one samples. Between the Sheets by the Isley Brothers, a very commonly used sample, most notably in The Notorious B.I.G.'s Big Papa. And uh, this one was co-written with Tony Canal, her no-doubt bandmate. And um, this is an r ballad about kind of being fancy. And this is definitely... It, he was a big Prince fan. This is Prince all the way. I feel like they listened to, like, Adore off of Sign of the Times. I can definitely hear where he was coming from, writing this or some diamonds and pearls, maybe. This is Prince all the way. And um, it's just pure 80s all the way. I mean, the whole materialistic aspect of it, that's pure material girl right there. And we've even got Gavin Rossdale speaking French at the beginning. I didn't know it was him until this week, but that's what we've got. Um, yeah, I think this is another fun tune. I don't think it's, Like, I wouldn't put this in, like, the top part of the album, but I think it's a perfectly fun R&B song, and uh, it was the fifth single, and I can see why, because it makes sense with, again, what the American public was listening to. It wasn't as big as the other song, so it made it to 21. I don't remember hearing this on the radio, really. Uh, Some people obviously do, but... I like it just fine, but I definitely wouldn't put it at the top of this album. No,
1: I'll start off by saying the single, to put this out as a single for me is a cash grab on, just for the sheer, I'll use the word overuse of this Isley Brothers sample. I mean, at this point, we got The Brat, we got, of course, uh, Notorious B.I.G., we've got Whitney Houston uh who else Jim Jones Keith Murray everybody was on this and I remember hearing this when this dropped and immediately being put off by that because it almost felt and at you know at this point in life just being a a a younger guy a younger listener it almost felt like it was making fun of the biggie shit or, you know, just not really paying homage to it. It was in a different sense to me back then. I listen to it now, and I, of course, have that nostalgia of that feeling. But I don't feel like this song really becomes itself to something that I somewhat enjoy until like two minutes and 56. When she starts in with the the cha-ching and they drop it all the way off, it comes back and it's still Isley-esque but it's its own thing. And it really does well with it. At that point, it pays homage to the sample. Even if you're going to have the sample, the way that it's done here, I really enjoy. I don't enjoy this track off the start because for me, it's just too produced. It's like, now we're going to put Gwen on top of the Isley brother between the sheets. Like, this is her first solo and this is where I start to say, I, I said it a little bit back in cool. I didn't, I'm not gonna hit Andre for it because I felt like their styles meshed, but I feel like this is one that they put on the album for her that it just wasn't for her. I mean, she always does a great job singing. You can never take that away from her, but it wasn't until about halfway or three quarters of the way through the song Till I feel like it realized itself. And I really think it could have been a beautiful composition using that for the whole track.
0: Hmm. I mean, I would agree the bridge is the best part of the song. Heard. I do agree with that. But I admittedly, this is probably my era. I heard this before a lot of those 90s hip hop tunes that use this same. I heard this ad before I ever heard Big Papa. Heard that. Heard so that. it's a bit fresher to me because of that, I think. That makes sense. So I guess just different listeners have different experiences when it's such a well-used sample. It depends where you heard it first. I remember
1: being so excited for this album just to hear what, what she was going to do. And I, this was just a big letdown. And I tried to let that go as I listened to it. But just I feel like composition wise, it's not I've already said it, not my favorite.
0: Well, I get what you're saying, but we kind of have a song in a kind of similar production vein with our next track, our track seven, which is Harajuku Girls. This one is produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, most known as Janet Jackson's producers. Um, And yes, yeah, she had four backup dancers. She called her Harajuku Girls. They were named Love Angel, Music, and Baby. All Japanese. She was very inspired by the culture. She actually... Got some flack recently when she was interviewed about it and was out here and saying she associated, she said to herself, My God, I'm Japanese. And that didn't go over well with everyone. We're, nah,
1: that's I'm inevitable. not worried about it. Yeah, it's inevitable. I it, thought about asking it at the top of our podcast. Like, you think yeah. it could fly today? Regardless, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it, was, it was a piece of work that she did. She was never disrespectful in it. And I don't feel like, that she was, you know, taking anything from the culture or or throwing it in a a terrible light. Um,
0: I don't think so. And again, what one person might see as homage, another person might see as appropriation. It just, it's really very open to interpretation. And um, I think we just have different standards now than we did in 2004. I guess. Yeah. When it comes to this.
1: Oh man. Yeah. I guess all the examples I was about to make are pretty terrible, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough.
0: Yeah. But anyway, as for the song itself, um, yeah, it has a kind of classic R and B sandwiches to be expected from these producers. After all, this is very Janet-esque. I, that's definitely what I'm getting for. Of course, it sounds more like nineties or, 2000s Janet than it does 80s Janet, because 80s Janet is pure Minneapolis Prince almost. Um, I gotta say, I think this one's a letdown for me. I really love these producers. I, I'm i a huge Janet fan, of course. We've talked about her here before. I just think this is kind of run-of-the-mill for them, and I just, uh, I don't think this is the best concept for a song to begin with. These Karajuku girls, like this isn't, you couldn't have come up with a better idea for a song. Like I get having it as part of your album campaign and in the videos and all of that, but for a song, no, I don't think it's a great concept. And I just, I don't know. I think these guys weren't doing their best work at this point in time. Cause I mean, even their album they did with Janet this year, it didn't have their best work with her, I don't think. So I just, I've never been a fan of this one.
1: Uh, It's a brand statement. I try not to take anything away from the music because ultimately it is music that was made by an artist regardless and there is a piece of said artist's heart inside it somewhere. The beat and composition hit you automatically as a subconscious listener or hit me as a subconscious listener because it's two producers that are, it's old hat to them. I'm with you. As, As solid as it is, as far as, being what it needs to be it's not their highest work anywhere near and it's a bit contrived i can see where you're inspired by something so much and and we're talking about you know harajuku like backstreet districts you know like this was a very cool thing and a very cool movement it's almost like a soho movement or like a uh what was the one in London that we talked about with Sonny and Cher? um, King's Road. King's Road. Yeah. Like that kind of deal where it was like this microcosm or, or this mini movement of, of fashion and and feeling in the whole nine. I can see where the inspiration can come from that. And I can see where you might want to showcase that because you're pumped and you got these girls that, you know, you're, you're making this whole thought with, but it's, it's a brand statement, you know, in my opinion. And, and it's long. It's long for a brand statement. I can dig the whole homage to the Japanese back and forth, you know, with the kawaii comments and the happy giggling back and forth. But it, it just goes way too long for me. Yeah, never one of my favorites. It just seems so contrived. It was it was a letdown then as far as, like, what? Come on, Gwen, girl, let's get something crazy on this album, and now uh, yeah, it hasn't gotten any better with time.
0: Yeah, and speaking of the brand, David, that I think might also be part of the letdown, because, like, these are the guys that produced The Velvet Rope, which is a beautiful personal masterwork written about someone's deep depression, and then you're doing this. It's just, I know what these guys are capable of, and admittedly Gwen's not Janet she has she's doing something different but like it's like I know what all these artists are capable of and this ain't it that's basically it I know what all these people are capable of and this just it's not that.
1: It. I feel bad when I say things like the machine and like you know the labels are doing it but I mean this is the game right now Interscope was like hey guys guess what you're doing Gwen Stefani album it means like you're doing this by the way he's probably got him in a contract somewhere where he's like you got to get this yeah. you know i would love to think that all these artists come together but i don't feel this small universe that we've felt in the even just the last couple of albums where we're talking about all these artists coming together in this beautiful way i don't feel that when i look at the production list maybe like places like the neptunes i'll give andre dre was her choice but when we start to talk about Perry, even so, and, and now here, it's just, it it screams yeah. machine to me.
0: And also, this is pure speculation on my part. There might have been some pressure on them to do something bigger because Janet's, to me, the Joe really underperformed this year because of the Super Bowl happened this year. Oh, wow. Okay. That's wow. pure speculation on my Third. part, but who knows honestly I don't know for sure but maybe it was like maybe you should maybe there was some pressure involved there I don't know yeah I know they worked with Mariah a lot she hadn't really made a comeback yet it just I guess they wanted them to maybe there was some pressure involved but who knows I'm just talking out my ass with this so no it it, (laughs) it makes
1: it makes sense it makes sense and either way it boils down to the machine you know yeah it's tough
0: it's tough the machine circa 2004 could be pretty ugly as we yeah. saw especially in regards to miss janet but we're not here to talk about that heard that um we are going to go to a more inspired collaborator fortunately for our next song which is track number eight crash this one was co-written with tony canal of no doubt um and actually after that horrible session with linda perry where she broke down she went to see tony canal and just the Like hang out, not to work on stuff, but he showed her some stuff he'd been doing. And this particular track really stuck out to her and she loved it. And so they wrote this song and modeled it after Salt and Pepper. And we got. Was it
1: modeled after Salt and Pepper? Like, did they say that?
0: That's what it said on. That's what I read. Yes. I feel you. Okay. Their inspiration, I I guess, was Salt and Pepper, which I can hear fuck yeah. It's, a, and it's, it's a sex song with racy metaphors. Um, yeah, I love this song. I've always really enjoyed this song. It has a great new wave kind of clash feel to it. It's a lot of fun. And I mean, again, I just feel the joy in this song, like, and it's an earworm too. I mean, back it up, back it up. You got it. Put your hands up, put your hands up. Like, I just always have a really good time listening to this. It's one of those songs where, like, sometimes I feel like, if I just want to listen to a really upbeat, fun song, let me put on Crash, and it'll pump me up a bit. It's one of those songs for me, and I've always really enjoyed it. It
1: it It's not one of those songs for me. Oh, man. Unfortunately. Uh, This is one of those ones where I see you get so pumped, and I, I try to not make any facial movements because i want to hear your whole pumped upness about this and i respect it um and the reason i asked about the salt and pepper thing is because it's always been there for me like it's a push it rip off as far as a beat goes for me uh as far as and look man i'm not taking anything from tony i i I love him as an artist I, i don't know why i keep saying that so much tonight but i'm really not trying to shit talk i'm just being critical i guess because i enjoy this these people so much but anyway it's terrible this keyboard synthesizer piece that he has in the middle there like the the solo i guess you would call it i i don't use this word much but i hate that i always have i tried to give this song many chances this week it's it's because this song sounds so simple that it's not like a, a simple composition that. I enjoy it. It just sounds elementary. Like it sounds like it was made on a PlayStation Two. It's crazy for me. It, it really, it really does. Uh, no, and I've, and the whole album, Stefani's overdubbed, harmonized, beautiful. And where she usually shines on a single vocal, I feel like she just hung out the dry on this one. I don't know. I've always hated this song.
0: Disagree because. No, all those little details like the beeping noises in there they're adding to it and I think that kind of plasticky sound it's Ella it's intentional to give it the 80s vibe I I don't know I totally I I can see where you're coming from I totally disagree with you on this
1: it's very rare I I, it it was very hard for me to keep a straight face while you were saying it uh, because I wanted you were happy about it, and no, this I am, is a bigger disagreement than this. This.
0: this is a bigger disagreement than cinema.
1: Heard that, heard that.
0: Oh man, this is wow. Okay,
1: it's very rare, everybody. It's very rare this... that we're so far apart, but yeah, we are on this one.
0: Well, anyway, <laughs> some people agree with me. Okay i.e. the record label. And this was the (laughs) album's sixth single. It was not supposed to be because Gwen was supposed to be working on the follow-up album, but she was pregnant with her first child. So they decide to put out another single and they put out a live video of it, which, okay, that just shows you we put no effort into it here. If you're putting out a live video, that's lazy.
1: And it's the second single on the album. It's the sixth. But I'm saying the second one off this album that for me.
0: Shouldn't have been a single.
1: No, it's way too close to a a cult hit. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, God. We don't got Gwen rolling. She's pregnant. Put Crash out because it sounds like push it and everybody's going to automatically listen to it.
0: Well, well,
1: that's me. That's me me going off the deep end. Uh, But I mean,
0: You'll have it your way because not everybody listened to it. It was the album's lowest charting single, okay. and it made it to forty-nine on the Hot One Hundred. Uh,
1: yeah, I definitely don't remember it ever on the radio back then.
0: And uh, it should have been a much bigger hit. <laughs> and this song should blow up on TikTok, not Bubble Pop Electric. I don't have TikTok, but any TikTokers listening, let's make, let's bring Crash back, make Crash great again.
1: Oof. <laughs> Bubble Pop Electric works on TikTok because it's got those narrative pieces, and they no, can like lip sync that shit. <laughs> no, they can
0: do car. They can do like fake car crash demonstrations to this. It would be so much fun. <laughs> oh
1: man, oh I like it. I like this it. This is
0: perfect. And it that's is. also <laughs> how you know it was a missed opportunity to not do an actual music video, just a live video. But
1: it is. Uh, it's perfect for a driver's ed video. <laughs> oh i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm playing but now that
0: sounds like a great driver's ed class so <laughs> well not like the lady i had in driver's ed who partially scared the living hell out of me the drive because she's like you're driving a deadly weapon uh,
1: if they put this on it would have scared the hell out of me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no not but wow it, it's very manifest- it for me tic-tac not for me
0: now, listen to <laughs> listen to charlie but anyway we're now going to move on to another song i i hope this one's not as divisive
1: you never know now i'm just gonna keep a straight face let's just, just hold on to my beard
0: but let's, let's see <laughs> um so we've got Track number nine, The Real Thing, which I would say is the love song of the album. This song was co-written with Linda Perry and GMR, Gavin Rossdale. And um, the genesis of this song is that when Stefani asked New Order to collaborate with her, but they didn't because they were already working on their own album. And so they didn't want to, like, write a song because they're like, we got to save it for our album. Not because we don't like you. Because as it turns out, once they heard the song, um, Peter Hook played bass on it, and yeah. Bernard Sumner sang Background. But that's not the only 80s cred this song has. Oh, no, no, no. The best of it all. Two of my favorites. We've talked about them before. Twice on this podcast. Yeah. This song features Wendy Melvoin on guitar and Lisa Coleman on keyboards. And uh, yes, they are part of Prince's Revolution. They're awesome. They helped create the best album of all time. And, a personification of the 80s. And, I mean, Gwen had worked with Prince already, so it made sense that that would be a reference point for this album. I hear him quite a few places here, but, I mean, I think this is officially most 80s track on it, just because of the personnel on the song. And, um... Yeah, I love it. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, some people thought the lyrics were kind of cheesy. I can see where they're coming from. But you know me, as I said in my Arshanai episode, I'm a sucker for a good love song. And I think this one fits the bill. And I just I love those synth sounds. I just I love it. And it's just stacked. Any 80s pop lover, I think, would enjoy this song somewhat, at least. So yeah, the real thing is another winner for me. I've
1: Always enjoyed this one. No, I'm I'm with you. This song is great. This is the polar opposite. The way we were polar opposites on the last song. This is the polar opposite of where we were um, earlier talking about seasoned vets being inside of songs and not putting out top-notch work. Um, In fact, so top-notch that I remember the first time I heard this, but even now listening to it, like the first time back the first minute of this is 80s i mean it hits 80s hard almost a bit too hard um but it really at that minute gets in there um it it is a love letter to the 80s this song it it really is It, it this is how you do it if you're gonna do 80s you you get in there with key players and you really work on it you work on a love song with your husband in the room you know that's that's even better um and she shines on it on this one she really does uh i can really hear the gwen inside of it you can she she sounds great on this one i love right. this song
0: yeah i would say it's the best vocal of the album too i yeah. would have to say that for sure definitely a winner and uh a- Actually, maybe, that I don't know how this would fit on TikTok, but it should get more recognition.
1: Yeah, this is a good one. This this didn't get any play. This is a good one that that no. not many people know.
0: No, and definitely check it out if you haven't heard it, for sure. And now we're on to another one a lot of people don't know. Um, Track number 10, Serious. This one was co-written with Linda Perry and Dallas Austin. Based on those credentials, I have a feeling you might not be crazy about this one, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll never know (laughs) we never know um uh yeah it's very uh i mean it begins with a string intro which is different and then it's very more so 80s pop this one got a lot of madonna comparisons which i can definitely hear that um and it also got comparisons to the kylie Minogue song fever because that's another song about lovesick doctors and shit like that i guess you could say um I think this is a fun tune. It is a bit middle of the pack overall on the album for me. I do think there's other ones that are just a bit more hard hitting and interesting musically, certainly than this one. But I still like this song. All right. I, I enjoy it. All right. It's not the top here, but it's a perfectly fine pop song, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a perfectly fine pop song. There's definitely no denying the, the 80s feel on this one, too, with the Madonna, um, the 80s club, regardless. Uh, this screams 80s club to me. I love the hook on this, where the, where she breaks down because this love is serious. We're seriously onto something. I love that. This is it, it's a good one. This is a good one. I think this one loses a tad bit being where it is on the album. If this could be up a little bit higher and like in between Luxurious and Harajuku Girls, I think it would shine a little bit harder and keep that 80s right. yeah, keep that 80s vibe in check cuz we sort of lose our way through this album in my opinion if we're talking about an 80s dance album and that's how they were saying they wanted to go with this. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's a perfectly beautiful song, well done. It's just, it's sort of ho-hum here.
0: Yeah, it is kind of in an odd placement. And I do think that would have been a good spot because it is very R&B dance, much like that early Madonna. And I don't think it reaches that height at all, but... Nowhere near. Nowhere near. So uh, maybe that's part of it, cause that's a, but that's a pretty high height to get to. Not everything can er- be Lucky Star after all. But <laughs> so interestingly... This song was not a single, but it must have been considered to be a single at some point because there was a video filmed for this song. Hmm. And a minute of it leaked, like, in 2006. Okay. And I watched it, and I mean, the video was definitely a Madonna homage. I was like, okay, you have your backup dancers in street clothes, and so are you. Okay. I definitely knew what that was. I'm like, this is lucky. This is early Madonna right here. I knew exactly what they were going for there. And I think a video probably actually would have elevated the homage a bit in that case. If we're going to do this Madonna homage, I think that visual would have helped, like it did with many Madonna songs, frankly.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, I don't know. I kind of am confused as to why they wouldn't have made this a single when there was a video already filmed for it. But I'm not at the same time I don't know. Uh, one YouTube comment, this is just YouTube, but they claimed that it was between this and Luxurious as a single, but Luxurious was chosen. I'm not sure if that was the right decision. I say who no. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I already said that. I feel like that one was sort of like a cash grab all the way around. I so. mean, yeah,
0: it's obvious why they chose it. It's more urban than 2000s urban than this yeah. is. Um. Yeah, but you know what? I will say this: if this war hit, millions of Americans would have gotten another spelling lesson. <laughs> I will, I will give it that. So
1: this is the truth.
0: That's where, and serious would have been a helpful word, probably more helpful than bananas, to be honest. But
1: <laughs>
0: at the same time, who's mad that they know how to spell bananas? Not me.
1: There you go. Not me.
0: <laughs> But anyway, we are on to another one. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I totally messed up my notes here. So I said Sirius was written with Dallas Austin and Linda Perry. It was not. That was the last collaboration with Tony Canal. Okay. That was a Tony Canal track because I got my notes mixed up because the next song is co-written with Linda Perry and Dallas Austin
1: got you that so serious was the last canal that makes a little bit more sense and i wasn't even looking down at my notes for that but that makes a little bit more sense (laughs) especially with his 80s love you can definitely hear like that you i mean i had in my notes but prince slash madonna slash 80s club and i didn't say prince earlier when i was talking but
0: it has that vibe to it yeah but anyway this one now we're talking about his linda perry and dallas austin um This song is Danger Zone. This one actually got quite a bit of speculation early on because they thought it was maybe about the fact that Gavin Rossdale had a child with another woman years before he even met Gwen. And it really wasn't publicly known. A DNA test was done in 2004. He had to take a paternity test. And so people thought maybe it was about that. But apparently the song was written before that but I can see why this definitely, this song, um, this is the one song that has lyrically, it's got that anger that was a big part of Tragic Kingdom. Oh yeah. This is the one on here for the most part, that's not here because that's not what we're going for, but it's on this one. And I mean, I think it works great. I think that's an important part of Gwen Stefani, that anger that made us all listen when she sang I'm just a girl in this world why won't you let me be that's here and she's pissed about something I don't know what but she can write these songs in her sleep frankly and she did it here and I um yeah it still has that cool 80s dance sound to it I do wish it wasn't buried so late in the album I feel like it's a late album highlight I heard as the second to last song because it's kind of like Oh, it should be up a bit. So more people like would pay attention to it, I guess.
1: I've got to uh, put that up with a pin because I've got a little conspiracy there on that one. But as far as someone who's going to go. Out of her way to put Gwen in a chokehold and say, I want to make a song with you and then another person who wanted to write his own no doubt song they both got to do that in this song yeah the the way that this song is composed one for stefani but also just as a musical piece is mind blowing well done to everyone on this one and I say that mostly because I think we really get to see a lot you said that anger of, of tragic kingdom but a lot of that no doubt Stefani with getting to look into her future sound um, you know we get an, uh, we we get that 80s brandness at the the 240 I think it is 2 minute and 40 second breakdown it was really nice 80s breakdown in there but a well done song you're right it's late in the album um we'll go on a little bit we'll we'll finish out and then i'll I'll say my piece on that one um but yeah i love this one
0: okay i'm glad you do because this is definitely a highlight for me but um now we're at our last song a duet with andre free thousand but uh a very different duet than bubble pop electric this is a long way to go um This is a social commentary track about interracial dating, and it samples Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, and um, it was originally written for Outcasts, Squeaker Box and The Love Below, and The Love Below being the Andre 3000 part of it. It was reworked a bit for this album. It explains a lot because this doesn't fit on the album at all. And I do believe that Gwen and Andre's hearts were in the right place to make this social commentary piece, but it doesn't work. It is an awkward song to listen to. I've never cared for it. It's got a cool idea. It just, this, um, and the sample is really, it definitely, I don't, I think people, it was, I can see where someone would misinterpret it as how important do you think you are, sampling Martin Luther King Jr.? I don't take it that way. I can see where somebody would, though. I'll say that.
1: Yeah. I, Andre, as an artist, I'll say this before I rip this song apart I, or <laughs> being on this album apart. Andre, as an artist, has, in my opinion, taken his craft so seriously throughout his whole career that to do a piece like this is not out of the wheelhouse or out of anywhere where I would question it um, coming from that artist. That being said, straight out of my notes, why the fuck are we ending this Gwen Stefani solo album with an Andre 3000 song? Because I you very kindly said that this was a duet, but in my <laughs> opinion, mean... it's not. It's an Andre 3000 song with Gwen doing harmonies in the background and then... almost two minute outro which is sick don't get me wrong the outro is sick but are you joking i don't care if you guys did this for andre's album and it didn't make the cut this is my conspiracy this this screams i'm going hardcore conspiracy on the machine tonight but yeah their hearts might have been in the right place while they were doing this and even if you want to put this on this album put it up somewhere in there where we hit a law maybe after harajuku girls before put before oh i'm gonna bullshit before crash um but not you don't end the album with this so i think this this is coming from somewhere up high you know they didn't believe in danger zone as an ender which in my opinion it's the perfect ender for this album because yes. it's it lets us, and then Sirius becomes the perfect penultimate, right? So, like, yeah. you get that last little bit of hardcore 80s, and then you go into Danger Zone, and you get old Gwen and new Gwen. It makes sense. Who in the hell let this happen? I'm, I'm, I felt this way back in the day, and it is another one that has not changed for me. I just don't understand how that made it through the whole process. Uh, with, uh, without the social commentary or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Just as yeah. a piece. How the hell did we just end this Gwen album on an Andre song? It don't make no sense.
0: It it really doesn't. And um maybe part of it is just the fact that it's so out of place. This is definitely the gun to the head least favorite for me. I don't think it is for you or is it?
1: Uh it just here's the thing. It's an Andre piece. It's cool. I like it. It has some neat parts to it, but it, it has zero place on this album and it definitely has and, and you know it has a tiny little shot at being on this album, but it has is zero place being the end for this album. The the final yeah. track. Get out of here.
0: Yeah, and I didn't know. Are you would you say you're an outcast fan?
1: Oh, yeah, I love that okay. boys. I'm not okay. big on a lot of uh dirty south period or, or south, but I I've always loved OutKast okay. as artists, as rappers, yeah. as they're both of them. Yeah, because I they wish are- they would do. Get back together.
0: (laughs) That's a beloved duo right there. I just wanted to put that out there because I know I haven't dived deep into them. I know the big hits, but I know that's one of the most beloved duos of all of music, not just hip hop.
1: There's a poll. Put that out there. What OutKast album you want to hear Charlie and me do? Because I'll do I'll do any OutKast album. There's fun to be had. Andre 3000 is a poet before anything. Not to go off on a tangent, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, I'm a, I'm maybe we
0: will we will get there in the future. Who knows? There you go. But um yeah, that ends our album. And so I'm gonna leave this to you and get your grade on it because you were one looking for this as a longtime Gwen, no doubt, fan.
1: Yeah, man. I was pumped. I'm always pumped to do any Gwen. I'm always pumped to do any Gwen. Um this one made perfect sense. For this this month, Uh, you know, we're doing the doll theme and this was really a branded album, in my opinion. Even with my love for Gwen and her catalog, uh, this album really, for me, ends up being a jumbled grouping of songs. Um, It seems like we get a lot more of what other artists and producers thought Gwen should do or sound like at this point in her career instead of getting... And I'll speak a little bit from my, the nostalgic me, but also listening to it again and again and again, instead of getting a true solo album from Gwen that we the Gwen that we knew and loved coming into this. So something that was was solely unique from her. I, I, I miss that on this album. The small amount of triumphs throughout this album, unfortunately for me, don't make up for the mess of thoughts throughout this album. Um, and for this, I got to give it a C plus.
0: okay Um I'm on the other end here. I'm going to give it an A minus. Uh okay. the songs I don't like, I do not like. They are definitely skips, but I do think that this is one of the best pop albums of the 2000s and I just I think it really did pave the way in ways that we nobody would have expected at the time, but it really did and it needs to get some more credit for that. I think a lot of the 2000s discourse, it, when it talks about the game changers, there's a lot of talk of Beyonce, Britney, even X-Tina at times, but I don't think Gwen is mentioned enough in that, and I think that she should be, and this is a nostalgia bomb for me. I'm not going to lie. I have a lot of nostalgia for these songs, and that's really kind of where I am with it. I think this is a really strong pop album, and there is a lot going on, but I think that she did what she set out to do, which was make a guilty pleasure 80s dancer. I think that was her goal, and she did it. She did it.
1: You, you know how hard that C-plus was for me. I, I love you I, I, I do. I do. That was that was a very critical C-plus, but yeah. I, you know, I still love you, girl.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> I will say it's still not as good as No Doubt albums, in my right. opinion, but
1: yeah but even then i was ready to put it on its own level and of course you know she you said it earlier in the podcast she did enough well here enough awesome here to keep making albums and 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 doing her thing you know
0: she she definitely did um now i ask what's your favorite tune on the album
1: for me Oh man, it's so tough. It's so tough. It's so tough for me. Um, but I think for me, it would have to be Danger Zone. I think that's a good pick. I think that is my favorite. I I fought about it when I wrote it down. I know what I wrote down, but I I, I got to give it to it. After the the extensive listening through this, that's that's my I mean, my favorite track on this album.
0: It it is a banger. How about my you? Favorite, my favorite track on the album is Crash. Really? Yes.
1: There you go. There I'm you not go. kidding.
0: I love we, it.
1: We never we've never been that far on song. Crash before. Is my favorite
0: song. <laughs> Crash
1: will live in infamy the one time we are nowhere near each other.
0: <laughs> well oh no, we've been we've disagreed before, but this is uh
1: you picked is, that as your favorite song though. That's on it. another <laughs> level, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I didn't pick someone's least favorite as my favorite, <laughs> which is what I did today. I love it. I love it. But um, there there we have it. Our second episode this month. This was a really fun one to do. I thought. Um, and um, now I don't know what this will be yet. But Corey, please tell us what our next album for the month will be.
1: All right, we're talking about dolls. We're talking about toys. I had to go with really the most music, well, I say the most, but the most of, as far as the toys that I've had, Um, whether it was when I was younger or now um, collecting, um, but that would have to go to the Beatles. So, for the first time on Turntables & Tea, we're gonna do a Beatles album, which is, whew, took me a second to come to that realization but we're we're gonna do let it be um i'm nervous even saying it i'm a, a, with anticipation and with it's a it's a heavy undertaking but we're we're down for it
0: so it there is. you go there you go it is and all Beatles. it's all been documented a lot but i really do think we can hopefully bring a unique perspective to it yes um i certainly hope we can and there's a lot to get into with it and uh a lot to discuss with the album and it's one we even alluded to a bit on our previous episode we even talked a bit about let it be on our david bowie episode it came up it's an album that has a large specter casts a large shadow yes but it's a very important album and we're i'm very excited to do it i, <laughs>
1: yeah. I am it's gonna be insane
0: and it's about time we do a Beatles. We referenced Lenin quite a bit. We've done Paul before. It's it's time for the Beatles. It's time. It is. And uh, you, it's hard to go wrong with the Beatles. And we hope that you enjoy We'd love to hear your feedback on it when we do it. Yeah, man. But um, yeah, so that'll be our next episode. We also have a poll attached to this episode where you're going to pick our next album for the Stalmoff to close it out. Oh, this poll is special because this is all rerun artists, all people that we did before on the show. And uh, you get to decide if you want to hear us talk about them again. So, <laughs> but they're all fun artists to talk about because we wouldn't pick somebody we wouldn't want to, of course. So we never try to shut anything down. But anyway, our options are Michael Jackson's Thriller. Madonna's I'm Breathless, Britney Spears' is In The Zone, and Lady Gaga's Born This Way.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see what you guys pick on that one.
0: Yeah, this one could really go either way because I know all of these artists have pretty rabid fan bases.
1: And if you guys start to see a theme going, yes, we let you do all the hard Choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So you guys get to pick the hard choices, and that way we're all in it together.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. That just makes it easier on everyone, don't you think? I think so.
1: I do indeed.
0: But um while you're waiting for all this fun stuff, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast, and on Twitter at Turntables Tea, and also subscribe wherever you're listening to it, whether it be. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, we're on all of them. So uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, just uh, next week, we hope that you take the long and winding road of let it be with us.
1: Peace!